Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Diving Date with Sam Fricker. Today we have the Honorable... Ben Franklin, president of New South Wales and former minister and genuine good person, a good friend of mine. Ben? Hey, Sam. How are you, bud? Going great. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. I'm not quite the president of New South Wales. It's the New South okay. Wales Parliament. Oh, okay. But nonetheless, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get there. My, uh, my politics, I need to get them off the scratch. <laughs> but, so this morning you met with the Saudi Arabia ambassador. What's that like and how'd that go? I was amazing. So a part of my job is to actually meet with the ambassadors, the high commissioners, the consuls of different countries. You know, sometimes I meet with the foreign ministers or even uh, just last week I met with Prince Edward, you know, in, wow. in, uh, who was over here. Um, but yeah, the Saudi, ambassador, Saudi Arabian ambassador was amazing. So we were talking about this new uh, city that they're building in Saudi Arabia, which is 500 metres high, 200 metres wide, and 170 kilometres long. Is that the wall? Yeah, it's called the line. The line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's 100% renewable energy. Um, there's no emissions at all. There are no cars, no roads. It's like this internal, this, this weird city of the future. And it's just this incredibly long uh, sort of building. It's amazing. I've seen renders of that online. It's crazy that you're actually in person talking to them about it. What's their plan for that? Because I heard it was a mega project that would just be extremely hard to tackle. Well, they are very conscious of the fact that they're a very oil-rich country, um, but of course, oil isn't going to last forever. And so they're really focusing through their vision 2030 on what they're going to do in the future. And it's going to be all about renewable energy and you know green energy, hydrogen and so on. Uh, and that's exactly what they're doing with this city to make it uh, no emissions, uh, totally powered by renewable energy. And uh, it's, it's just incredible. And it's like a revolutionary idea. I remember mm. watching a video about it and thinking, if they could pull that off, even though people think that it might be impossible, it'd be a good step in the right direction for sustainability. Oh, 100%. And, you know, that's, we all know that uh, we, we're making the transition from uh, fossil fuels to renewable energy. This is absolutely critical for the survival of the planet. Uh, and it's great to see that a country like Saudi Arabia uh, that's been reliant on oil for so long is, is really making a move. So when you're meeting with high-ranking government officials from all around the world, what's the aim and the goal of those meetings? Well, the aim is, first and foremost, to build the relationship. You know, if we understand what another country, what their motivation is, if we understand what their aims are, uh, if we build a relationship people to people, uh, it means that, obviously, uh, there's going to be less drama between the two nations, right? And we've seen at the moment all around the world, we're living in a pretty tense time. There's obviously... 
tensions in, in Eastern Europe, there are tensions in the Middle East, there's tensions in Africa. Um, what I aim to do in my role uh, is when I'm meeting with ambassadors and so on, to look at where there's common causes, to look at where um, we're very similar, to look at where where uh, we've got things in, in common that unite yeah, us. Find the things that, that unite the people. 100%. It makes sense because even people, like whether it's business or, or diving, relationships, everything, like people, people, everything. You know, I was talking about this this morning and I reckon that there is nothing more important than building individual relationships. Um, and then they grow to being relationships between communities, between cities, between countries. Uh, and so that's in a really small way what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You're on the upper echelon of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, because people are everything. That's one of my biggest values. You could have everything in the world, but if you don't have good people around you to share it with, then you don't have anything. 100%. I mean, um, one of the things that uh, I've been talking to uh, the ambassadors and so on about is bringing students from those countries to Australia to study in Australia and sending Australian students to study overseas. Yep. Because when th that happens, you've got this incredible people-to-people -people mm -hmm. relationships. They understand the different country. They understand uh, a different culture. And I think that's really helpful for building those relationships. And I suppose from a young age too, you'd learn to love other countries. And if they're going to grow up and lead the nation. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you would find that. You know, you've travelled the world with, mm -hmm. your, with your diving. Uh, and you therefore understand what the different countries and the different cultures are and, and, and you've got a more tolerant and uh, generous view of the world. Yeah, being more understanding and not judging people because everyone's different and everyone has their own way of life and just learning to, I suppose, just be open and appreciate people for who they are and, and what they value. But I feel like what I've seen all around the world, no matter where I go, is everyone just wants to be loved and be valued and and to just go to work and have a good family and, and do mostly good things. 100%. I think, you know, I've been in politics, I've been in parliament for eight years, I've been around the political game for over 20, um, and there's a lot of cynicism about politics, but I genuinely believe pretty much everyone who goes into politics or who's involved in politics do it for the right reasons. I think that they have a good heart, that they want to make the world a better place, um, and whatever, whatever side of politics, whatever political party they're from, I think that uh, it's really inspiring to see that and to see it up close, even though a lot of people are cynical about it. That, yeah. That's not my experience. It can be tough too when in a political position, a right decision would mean the wrong one for someone else. Uh, it's so hard to be right for everyone. Oh, it's really tough. And, you know, we saw that through COVID. There were the governments all around the world had to make some really tough decisions that were going to impinge pretty harshly on people's lives. I mean, you remember when people couldn't go to funerals of loved ones and, and, you know, people were losing their jobs, they were losing their livelihoods, they were losing their lives. Uh, it was very, very difficult for governments. And so um, I think that one of the things that you've just got to, you've got to be aware of, you know, in, in these sorts of roles is there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers, but you've just got to try and be as fair and as reasonable as you possibly can and to act with integrity. And that brings me on to your job now, because <laughs> that, that is an interesting position. The president yeah. of New South Wales Parliament what does that role consist of? So it's a few things. Um, so it's like the some people might uh, know about the speaker in the parliament, you know, who's the person who sort of sits up in the big chair and says, order. Um, so that's, that's what I do. That's my role. I'm like the umpire in the parliament, uh, in the upper house of the New South Wales parliament. So I need to literally keep things under control. I sort of interpret the standing orders. I um, uh, make, make sure they follow the rules and so on. And I tell people, you know, when they can speak and when they can't, and if, you know, something that they do is within the rules and if it's not. Like a referee. 100%. Parliament. 
Exactly. So I'm, I'm like the referee. Um, but I've also got a couple of other jobs. I'm, um, I run the parliamentary precinct with the Speaker, um, who is the Speaker of the Lower House, and we are in charge of the whole area. So it's everything from the cleaning staff to the security staff to the catering to uh, the refurbishments. You know, we've got our bicentenary of the Parliament 200 years of the Legislative Council next year. Incredible. And we've just done this great refurbishment of Parliament House in Macquarie Street, which is, it looks looks terrific. So you also look after the whole building? 100%. Yeah, that's right. And the third thing I do, you know, which is obviously what we're talking about with the Saudi Arabian ambassador, is I meet with foreign dignitaries, uh, ambassadors and heads of state and so on. And uh, and I'm sort of the Parliament's representative uh, in working with other countries. In that line of work, what's some of the most rewarding stuff that you've been able to, able to do? Well, I, I think probably the most rewarding thing that I've that I've done in my political career was actually when I was a minister. Um, so I was minister for the arts and Aboriginal affairs uh, and tourism and regional youth. And busy. It was it was <laughs> yeah. pretty busy. It was pretty busy. But um, particularly working with Aboriginal communities, um, you know, I went out with the former premier Don Perrottet out to the central west of the state and. You know, we sat down with um, Aboriginal leaders and talked about what they needed. And, you know, we, we had big plans about things we were going to do and how we were going to support them. And they said, that's really nice. All of that stuff's great. But what we actually need is a bus. Wow. We need a bus to get our young people to job interviews or our old people to the hospital or to bring people together for a community event. We just need a bus. If you want to close the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, we just need a bus. And so we came back and we thought, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a program with pretty broad um, guidelines and listen to Indigenous communities and give them what they actually need. And we did that. And it was a program with tens of millions of dollars in it. And I mean, it was, you know, ruthlessly applied and all the guidelines were there and so on. But that really has supported Aboriginal people across New South Wales. And that's something I'm really proud of. Yeah, I feel like that would have such a positive effect too because you're listening to the people directly exactly knowing exactly what they need like a bus 100 percent. i wouldn't even you know, it just seems like such a little thing yeah. right or you know there was another one where there was a, a a kitchen out an outdoors kitchen where um in Tari where they were you know the uh, the local aboriginal community were were going to meet and so on but there was no shade cloth over the the outdoor area so it was so hot nobody actually came along so all we did was put on a shade cloth and suddenly it's become this real hub and a meeting place for that whole community and a shade cloth, which costs, you know, a thousand bucks or something. Yeah, but the, the small things sometimes can have such a huge impact, Absolutely. especially when community is really important. Exactly. And, and, and that's what I've found uh, throughout my entire uh, political life, um, that the little things often matter the most. Growing up, did you want to be a politician? What, what brought Ben Franklin into politics? Well, I actually grew up down on the Murray River in a tiny little town called Barham, which is a thousand people. Uh, Dad was the school principal there uh, of the local high school, oh. which I went to. Uh, Mum was a kindergarten teacher. Did you get in trouble as a kid or not so much? <laughs> well, I think headmaster's kids go one of two ways. Oh, yeah, they, either, that's why I asked. they either get in trouble, yeah. they're, they're the naughty boy, <laughs> or else they're the goody-goody. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I was a bit of the latter, okay. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so I was a bit of a nerd at school, yeah. but I, I loved it. Um, but no, it was ne- politics was never on the agenda. But I think the fact that they were both teachers uh, really instilled in me the most important thing when you choose what you're going to do with your life is to help other people, is to really invest in, I mean, it sounds corny, right? But 
it's investing in the greater good. It's investing in what you can do to leave the world a better place. So I was actually going to be a teacher. I, I was this close, but um, uh, then I got offered a job in politics and I thought, well, where can I make the biggest difference? And, and I decided that hopefully politi political life was something that I could, um, I could do good in, and, uh, and I hope I have. And did you enjoy it straight away? Uh, well, I mean, I started out pretty young just working for a member of parliament and then, and that was, that was great. That was in Hurstville and that was, uh, you know, helping people with everything from, you know, rubbish collection through to the state of their roads. Um, it was, it was pretty, um, pretty day to day sort of stuff, yeah. but it was important. And, you know, I remember there was an old lady who, um, who'd moved into a new housing commission place and there was this bin filled with um, broken glass and syringes and um, like really yucky stuff yep. outside this new home. And the, the local council were refusing to come and collect it. Um, because it had those. Yeah, that's right. And, and so she rang and just said, I, I, I don't know what to do. So we actually got a truck and went down and picked it up and took it to the tip and yeah. so on. And that woman has written me a Christmas card ever since um, because she said, you don't know what I was going through at that time, but that was incredibly meaningful. So, it, you know, the, it's the little things, right? It's, it's, you know, I opened an exhibition in the Australian Museum and, you know, with, and there was this excellent, beautiful little kid and he was, uh, uh, he was you know, one of the kids who were, we were it was a shark's exhibition. And, and I just sat down with him afterwards and I said, oh, how are you going? And he said, I'm good, I'm good. I said, oh, what are you doing this afternoon? He said, oh, I'm actually seeing, seeing my doctor, my psychiatrist. And I thought, you know, this kid's eight or nine years old. I said, oh, why? why? And he said, oh, I've been trying to hurt myself. And eight or nine? Eight or nine years old. And so I just sat with him and talked to him and said, well, you know, sometimes I've had really challenging thoughts too and, and talked to him about, you know, what I, I've done to get through it and, and, and about a few strategies to try and realise that what you're going through right now isn't, isn't forever. Isn't forever. Um, and his mum said to me afterwards that, you know, that, that was a really, really big deal for him and it, it really helped pull him out of a dark place on that day. Um, and he's actually coming in next week with his mum. Yeah, for a, a morning tea. We, we, I see him like, you know, every few months now and, and he's just, he's a, he's a, he's a great kid. And, mm, yeah. and again, right. It's the little things where Passion. you can actually impact people's lives. Yeah. Um, and right. sometimes you don't know just how, how much impact you, you have. Yeah. I feel like when you're compassionate and always just trying to do the right thing and the best thing, it rubs off on, on so many people and all that stuff you wouldn't even know when you've just been nice to someone. Like I see you out and about nice to everyone. Yeah. And, you don't realise, but sometimes you'd remember that forever. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, you sort of forget, you know, when you're, when you're a member of parliament or whatever, you forget that, you know, for a lot of people that might be a big deal. And, and particularly if you're acknowledging people's success or, or you're thanking them for the contribution they make to the community, you know, that's, that's really, that's important. And so what I try to remember each day is that it's not about me, the person, it's about the position. And if I go to an event, I go as the position and that, that if I thank people or I give a speech or whatever, it's, it's sort of got the, the force of the parliament and the force of the position behind it. And so that means that I try and treat it really seriously. Every interaction I have, I try, I try to do the right thing. No, I think it's a, a great way to go about it. And 
when you say that, yeah, you can become somewhat, because this has been me as an athlete. When I was younger, I used to look at the Olympians and I used yeah. to watch them on TV and I thought, oh, they must train in secret. Like everyone would just want to go and say hi. And then you're with them every day and then it's like, okay, this is awesome. And then you're next for world champions, Olympic champions all the time. And it becomes very somewhat numb to the, it's just reality. Okay, cool. Now I want to go and do this and that. And then you forget how far you've come or sometimes the weight of that position and, and the effect that that can have. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, you and I went to a, a, a Sydney Fringe Festival event, you know, a few, a, a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was just great. Um, but I didn't tell you on the night, but, but this, this lady, middle-aged lady, um, pulled me aside and said, is that Sam Fricker? Oh, so, okay. you know, you don't remember sometimes. You do, because it's you, right? You don't know how people see you sometimes. And it's... And it's, um, it's it's yeah. It's important to remember you're having an impact, and and what you're doing, mate, with your um, with your Sam Straws, with your World Ocean Day um, events, and 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 passion is is seriously significant for for the future of the planet. And I love that you're using your platform to really su support causes that are critical for the survival of the planet. I, I appreciate that, and similar to you, I find it's just important to stand up for the things that you believe in. Yeah. And when it comes to sustainability, I know it's something you're very, very passionate about as well. 100%. You know, I live in Byron Bay and uh, I think it's, you know, part of the... Lots the, to protect up there. <laughs> lots, lots to protect. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people who are really passionate about it too. But I think the world is um, really woken up to understanding that we've only got one chance here and uh, one, one planet. And, and I think that finally everybody seems to be on board and going, okay, well, we've, we've got to make sure that we, you know, we, we limit... Uh, the amount of uh, temperature rise that we've got. We've, we've got to make sure we move to renewable energy. We've got to make sure we treat our oceans and our, our planet uh, sustainably and with care. And the environment is so powerful to me because it's where we go for, it's where we go for escape. Yeah. You look out the window, we have the plants. Yeah. You go to Byron Bay for the ocean. Yeah. You go to the beach to relax. We put plants in our house. They feel more like home. Yeah. Like the environment is us. It's something we need to protect. We need to love. Because I feel like that calms us. It keeps us in the moment feeling relaxed. 100%. And, you know, to go back to, you know, our Indigenous um, First Nations people, you know, there's a reason why they talk about being connected to country. Um, for 60,000 years, you know, they have understood that there is something deeply spiritual and incredibly important about being connected to the landscape. And I think every single human being on the planet understands that and knows that being connected to your environment is something that literally gives you life. Yeah, the ocean's always been somewhere I've gone to escape and I'm in the water nearly all the time and yeah. I, I love it. I wanted to jump to some challenges. Sure. I know with diving, I've had my, my challenges. A lot of them no one would know about because you fight them typically by yourself, especially in an elite sport and being a politician, I would be fairly similar. You also don't really want to share your problems because you're sharing them a lot of the time to your competitors and you don't want them to have an advantage. What's some challenges that you've overcome that you either didn't think that you could or that you thought was a really massive roadblock to get over? And how did you do it? Well, I guess what I'll, the answer I'll give is um, about getting elected to this position into the presidency. So... After we lost the election, the, the, you know, I'm a National Party member, we lost the election in March this year, and which meant I, I, I stopped being a, a minister. And, um, and then I was approached by um, the Labor Party, which is the other side of politics from me, 
um, about whether I would be interested in considering becoming the president of the, the upper house. And I had to think really carefully about that because, um, you know, it's not normal that uh, you would be supported by the other side of politics. But I decided to do it because I thought the institution was really important, that parliament's important, that democracy's important, and that it's, it is actually under threat in some parts of the world where um, people are undermining democratic institutions, undermining the press, undermining the rule of law. Um, and so I thought it needs, a, it needs to have people who are defending it. And what happened then was there are a whole range of attacks that came on me from uh, some shock jocks on the radio or um, in the newspapers and so on. So it was very public and it was very, and it was very unpleasant. Stressful? Incredibly stressful. Yeah. I mean, when you've got, um, when you're on the front page of the papers, when you're on, you know, the nightly news, when you've got, you know, Ray Hadley or whoever ranting against you for 10 minutes on the highest rating breakfast program on radio, it's, it's heavy. It's really heavy. How do you manage that kind of pressure? You've got to focus on what's actually important. You've got to focus on why you're doing it and you've got to block it out. And you've got to block out the stuff that isn't relevant. And I knew that all of that was going to disappear. That all of that, once I got elected, once I showed the job that I was doing, once I showed the sort of president that I was going to be in this, in this place, uh, that the negativity and the abuse would just disappear. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but it requires at the time when you're going through it, a real sense of focus mm. and um, the capacity to be, to shut things out, to shut everything else out. Did that focus nail in on your job and your day-to-day -day tasks? Is that the focus you use to power through it? Absolutely. Um, I think that there is nothing more important than focusing day to day to day on doing what you need to do. And I think that's, that's a broader point, isn't it? And that's something that you, you know better than anybody. Training. It's all about turning up. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. And I think any high-flying individual, any person who's in a, uh, a serious senior position, whether it's in politics, whether it's as an Olympian, whether it's a, an artist, whether it's a CEO, it's about turning up day after day after day. You know, people don't become successful and famous overnight, almost ever. Um, or if they do, they tend to lose it like that too. Or, or, or it's by mistake. <laughs> or it's by mistake, yeah. Infamous. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but the people who really succeed are the people who've been working at it, chipping away for a long time. I love the chipping away saying. Yeah. It's one of my favourites. Yeah, 100%. And you look at a lot of people who are in a position that maybe you'd want to go into or somewhere you'd want to be and think, oh, it's just them. Maybe they were lucky. Oh, they can figure it out, but but not me. But it's just it's just not it's not true. That's no, not. Everyone's faced their own battles, their own challenges. Everyone's had it, you know, difficult in their own way. It's just about showing up and doing everything you can on that day, and just not not giving up. Yeah, that's exactly right. I I think that that's a critical thing. It's also about knowing what's important and what's not. You know, there are things that. Uh, you know, my staff will come in and say, what do you think about this? And I literally go, I don't care because it's not actually important. We can go, we can go one way, we can go the other. It doesn't matter. But I know also what is important. And when the, 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 
the issues that you've got to spend time on and you've got to focus on when they're there and you have to prioritise them. So it's about having that sense of what's important to you, always clear. Um, and it's also about, going back to what we said before, it's about relationships. You know, I think for me, the most important thing in my job, the most important thing in my life has been about the relationships that I build. In fact, that's probably the thing I'm proudest of um, because you don't know where they're going to lead. You don't know what opportunities are going to come from. You don't know, you know, if this is going to be an important person to you for the rest of your life. But my view is that every time you have an opportunity to meet someone, every time you have an opportunity to build a relationship with someone, you do it and you do it properly and you throw yourself totally into it and then the benefits flow for the rest of your life. Yeah. There's been some people that I've, I've come across and even when I met them, I thought, oh, like I'll, I'll go to the meeting, but I don't see how this could or how our values will tra traject together. Yeah. And they've been one of the most important people in my life. Yeah. yeah. One of my good friends and who shoots a lot of my stuff, Ramon, I just met him because he turned up to a, a diving session. Yeah. And he, I was teaching him how to dive back when I used to coach. Is that right? Yeah. And he just mentioned he liked doing some rock jumps. And I was like, oh, I like that. And just by having a chat and, and being interested and curious in people, you can build relationships that can last you a lifetime. And he's helped me film content. He's personally probably shot things that, for me that have gotten over two, 2 billion views. No this one guy. And I, yeah. I just from having a chat, being curious yeah. and giving people the time of day. Absolutely. Because you just, you never know. You never know. And it goes back to the point that you were making before about, you know, your international trips and so on show, uh, have taught you that everybody, you know, deserves to be heard and everybody is a, a valuable person and, and no matter what perspective they come from. And I think sometimes we've just got to do a little bit better, you know, as a society in listening to other people without judgment and just trying to understand the perspective that they come from. Um, and that's certainly what I try and do in Parliament when, you know, when I'm sitting there and I've got people across the political spectrum um, and who are yelling at each other, I really try and work out, all right, what's the perspective that they're all coming from and how can I sort of uh, mediate it to bring them a little bit closer together? When you've got two people... Two sides, yelling, arguing, things are getting heated. You might be having to kick someone out. But you also want to be fair. You do. How do you become a referee without creating enemies? Well, I mean, look, if you're in the political game, you're always going to create enemies, right? See the comments that I made before. But I think that people, you know, Barry O'Farrell gave me some, some really good advice when I took the role. He said, uh, one, have an open door policy. So whoever wants to come and talk to you in the parliament, wherever they are, whatever side of politics it is, always uh, treat them exactly the same and, and bring them in and listen to what they have to say. And the second thing is when you're in the chamber, um, you treat people fairly. And if you've made a ruling one week for one person, you have to be consistent and you have to then hold to that then the next week, even if it's for someone else uh, and someone who you might be personally close to. I think that what people are looking for is consistency. And it's not just in the chamber. It's not just in parliament. But I think it's in people's lives and in people's characters. Yeah. People want to see consistency and behavior. I couldn't agree more with yeah. that. When you see someone that's consistent, it just builds trust, loyalty, respect, and you can rely on them. Yeah. Like when someone's consistent and you know that they're going to do what they say they're going to do, and even if they have a hard line on something but you respect it, consistency, I feel like, is nearly a quality in a person that I, I really look for and respect. 100%. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's one of the most important things, you know, being consistent, um, 
acting with integrity, you know, acting on your values. I think it's really important to think about the values that are uh, meaningful and central to your life and always thinking about those. Where's some yours? Well, I think it's, I think it's about being honest. I, I, I try as hard as I can to, you know, not bullshit people. Uh, I think that people, even if you're saying something that people don't like, I think that people will respect you more if they know that you're. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're being, you're telling the truth. Yeah. I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but I think being kind is, is really central. I think that what we're seeing around the world at the moment, there are a lot of examples of people who just don't have kindness in their heart, who aren't being gentle and thoughtful to other people. And I try to be empathetic and I try to put myself in the place of others um, and I try to, to treat them as I would want to be treated too. I heard, I heard a saying that I really like and it said one of the biggest issues in the world is just ignorance. Yeah. If you could understand and be open to listening to what people have to say, and probably solve a lot of the a lot of the issues we have. I think that's right, and I think what we seem to have now is so much noise. You know, so many people yelling, so many um, people pushing their own views and putting their fingers in their ears and not listening to other people. I really think settling down, shutting up sometimes, and just listening to other people. I don't think there's anything more important than that. And I think that uh, that's the thing that I've tried to do in my life, to listen, like not just hear, but listen properly, closely to what other people say. I'd say you really live up to that value. There's some things I've told you about my diving or explain the technical process of qualifying for the Olympics and you still ask me, oh, Sam, how's that Oceania qualification? That one's for the country, right? And then the next week's for the trial for you to go to the world chance. I'm like, yes. Uh, like that, that is actually like sometimes complicated and I don't explain it the best, but you still ask, you still remember yeah. and you give me the time of day. Yeah. And I, I think you really live up to that value quite well. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Now I have a question everyone wants to know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Do you have to wear the wig? <laughs> <laughs> um, so one right there is us. one right behind me. So there was, um, 
speakers and presidents uh, ever since the 1850s have yeah. worn the wig and okay. they've worn a big gown and buckles on their shoes yeah. to show when they're in the chamber to elevate them and to send the message that, you know, I'm in charge here, I'm very important. Yeah. You know, it's why lawyers still wear wigs today. Oh, okay. um, but uh, but no, we, we stopped doing that in the late 1990s. Um, I still have it up there. Maybe one day I'll, I'll do it. Maybe yeah. the last day that I'm president I might walk in yeah. with it. But uh, But no, we don't do that anymore. I just try and exert my authority just with my, you know, with my voice. No need the wig. Order. (laughs) Not anymore. I'm fine as is. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I'll be right. Because another thing people don't know is anyone can come in and watch Parliament. Yeah, that's right. And and one of the things I'm really keen to do is to tell people and to bring people into the Parliament. This is the people's house. This is the Parliament of New South Wales. And that means anyone can come in at any time. You know, yeah, I want them to come in and, and see how democracy mm. works. The laws that are made that impact their lives are made here and they can come and watch how it's done. You know, if, if there's going to be a, um, uh, a new rule about, um, I don't know, drink driving or, or wearing seatbelts or what the, what the rules of the road are going to be, uh, they're made here. Or if there are rules about, you know, how, how long people need to be at school for, you know, how long a school day is, whether people will be, um, you know, whether, whether a new school will be built in a particular suburb. Those sorts of decisions are made here. And I really encourage people to come in and see how the laws of this state are made um, because it can be, it, it's both interesting and can be a bit of fun too. What's one of the most recent changes that you, you've worked on or, or seen happen in Parliament? So probably the most significant one was when we uh, had the energy roadmap where um, we moved from where we actually put the roadmap in place to take us from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Okay. And as when that, this was when we were, when, you know, this was before the last election. um, And this was incredibly important and supported by almost everyone on all sides of politics. So, but we've got to remember even, the seatbelts only passed. Yeah, it's a big deal. It was yeah. a big deal, and this was this was changing the whole face of how energy is provided in this in this state. But it was um, there were a few people, a minority, a very small minority, who were very opposed to it, and uh, and they moved hundreds of amendments against it. And I was actually leading for the government, uh, and this debate went on for day after day after day after day. And then at one point, uh, it went on for 40 hours or so straight uh, without a break. And, overnight. Um, overnight. Overnight. So, in yeah, Parliament. In Parliament. Right here. People yeah. stay 24 hours. That's exactly right. And so, and I was leading and so I didn't sleep. I just kept on pushing through all of the, it was the most exhausted I've ever been. Um, but it was so important for the future of, of the country, the future of the world, um, that it just gave me that adrenaline to do it. And, uh, and that was probably, probably one of the most meaningful things I've done in my life. I find that interesting because you would think sometimes if you've got your job description, you just think to that nine to five, other than that, I'm out. But like stepping outside that to yeah. do what you need to do and get over the line, yeah. like, that's, a, that's a big task. 100%. It's getting it done because you believed in it. Well, that's exactly right. You know? And it was you know, the same at, um, uh, it was the same at earlier this year when I was arts minister. Um, a number of arts organisations came to me and they said, you know, they'd gotten through COVID, they appreciated the support that the government had given them because, of course, a lot of arts organisations really were hurt hard because people weren't going to 
to to see you know the symphony or to go to see plays or or events any, any, some no, of all, all of these events were cancelled right and so it meant they were really hurt and what we wanted to make sure is that none of the the organisations uh, fell over uh, before you know COVID disappeared and and the restrictions were lifted we wanted to make sure they were viable and that they continued um, and they didn't we supported them but at the beginning at the end of last year the beginning of this year they came to me and they said they said we're just not quite there yet. We just need a little bit more help. You know, whether that was the Sydney Writers Festival or, you know, the, the, the theatre companies or um, the Opera Centre or, or, or little re just little regional organisations, little regional theatre companies or little regional museums or, or libraries. They just needed a little bit more help because um, they knew that the good days are ahead. And so I was able to work very hard, very quickly um, you know, with the Premier down to allocate enough money to see that all of these organisations could just get through. And I'm so proud that through COVID, not a single artistic organisation, you know, under my watch um, fell over. Wow. Um, which is great because around the world, that wasn't the case. And being the Minister for Arts, and I've even seen you're really passionate yeah, about I love the it. arts. Love it. Have you always been passionate about arts? 100%. So when I was a kid, um, I played the clarinet when I was, you know, very young. I was, In the band? Uh, I was, yeah, okay. yeah. And then I, I um, learned how to sing. I trained as a singer for 10 years. Actually, I got through university. You can sing? Yeah, I got through university. Are you going to give us a demo? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. You're setting right up then. Um, but I got through uni, actually, I paid for that singing in a barbershop quartet. Really? So there were four of us and yeah, we, like we'd sing Christmas carols in David Jones and, you know, we, I sang at weddings and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I always loved it. When I was, when I was in the country in Barham, um, my folks took me to Melbourne probably every three or four weeks to do something artistic. This is when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old, whether it was go to a gallery or go to a play or see a concert. And that instilled in me this sort of love of the arts, that it was normal, you know, that going and listening to a concert with an orchestra was just something normal and, and really good to do. And, um, and yeah, that, that gave me the love of it ever since. Do you still sing every now and then? Every now and then, maybe in yeah. the shower. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no demos today. Not today, <laughs> my friend. And then being the Minister for Arts. Yep. Is that the dream job? Did you, you love that? hundred percent. Yeah. When I... When I came into Parliament, I was asked, um, you know, what, what would be my dream job? And it, and it was that. Yeah. And it was, you know, not because you get to go to some cool events, but, and you do. Um, <laughs> so not because I, I love that. But I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but more, it's about being able to help the sector. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people see the arts as not central to the business of government. Um, you know, they think, rightly so, I guess, that, it's about hospitals and schools and, and police. And, and those things are really, really important. Yeah. But supporting the arts, supporting the cultural life of the state, supporting people who are defining who we are and what our place is in this society and on this planet and inspiring us to think in new ways and different ways about ourselves and about the society around us, I think there's nothing more important than that. I think that's very well said. Thank you. It's the whole umbrella of the arts. It is. And what that encompasses. Yeah. And even so, my work with social media, it's creative, making videos. Like I went to a four-year selective school when I was in primary school. Yep. 
when I was in Newcastle, um, School of Performing Arts, for drama. I acted out a scene from, oh, where was it? I acted out a scene, I can't remember the movie, you know, that we're not in Kansas anymore. Oh, You're Wizard of Pandora. Oz. I went to that school for drama for a while. Did you? Yeah. You thought about going back and doing some acting? I don't know. I've, because I was like making videos, I haven't really thought about going back and doing more acting as such because yeah. I dive full time and then I make a lot of content around me and what I'm doing. I thought when, when I'm filming, you know, you up the energy a little bit yeah. and, and that, that's a bit of, bit of acting, I suppose, getting excited. But as a whole, I feel like I'm a little more mellow. Yeah, well, you're, I mean, you're performing all the time, aren't mm. you, really? Whether it's diving, you're obviously performing, and whether you're, you're making content, you're performing. So, in effect, you've lived up to those, uh, those old yeah. days of, of drama school. Handy, yeah. yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the arts really, really touch us all. Exactly. Even music. I love music. Yeah. And that's so ingrained in, in arts. And yeah. you were saying earlier, the Aboriginal paintings, yeah. part of their connection to the land and the way we understand through their, their artworks. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it tells that story. You know, you think, you think back to COVID, you think back to the lockdowns, what were people doing? Well, they were sitting in their, in their houses, they were listening to music and they were watching films and, and you know, good TV. They were, they were reading books. All of this is the arts, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's important. Yeah, it reaches a lot further than you would you'd realize. Yeah, exactly. And then managing a whole bunch of ministry roles, tough? Very tough. And um, because obviously there were different priorities every day, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd come in and there'd, there would be some, some new issue that suddenly would happen in, in regional youth, for example, that there'll be, there might've been a, an issue out in Burke with, um, you know, with, with young people out there and, and, um, and that, that, that happened and, we'd need to deal with it. Um, or, you know, suddenly there'd be um, uh, an issue in, uh, you know, some small museum in, um, in, in you know, the Riverina. Um, Would you deal with like the transportation of like, say, artifacts? A- absolutely. And, okay. So in, for example, you remember the floods, uh, those awful floods up in Lismore. Um, yes, yes. I was, I was the minister then and obviously and appropriately people were focusing on saving lives and, uh, you know, making sure people had somewhere to live. And, and that, that was clearly the most important thing. But I realised as Minister for the Arts, someone needed to also think about what was happening in terms of the art institutions, mm-hmm. the, the gallery and the library and the museum, because they were all inundated too. And so, for example, I, I helped to get um, curators up to the, the gallery, which every single artwork in the art gallery was submerged underwater. And that all was of all of them, every single one. And that collection was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Some of the, the most famous artists in the nation were exhibited in that gallery. Um, and so we got conservators up there very quickly and got them the, all the works taken uh, and stored uh, in cold storage quickly and then brought to Sydney to see if they could be saved. And we were able to save over 50% of the works. Really? It was amazing. And it was because we were able to do that really quickly. And so I, I saw my role then as trying to preserve and protect the artistic heritage or the museum, you know, the making history. sure that the, exactly, making sure that the history of Lismore was protected and some of the artifacts that just couldn't be replaced. You know, artifacts from the 1900s, the 1800s, um, they needed to be protected as well. And as I say, most of the focus was on the really important stuff, the keeping people alive, getting them fed, getting them housed. Um, but I saw my role in that, in that time 
as being something different and it was helping to protect the cultural heritage of, of that, that part of the world. That's incredible. And that's one story of, I assume you have many of yeah. your job that kind of came in, not even your day-to-day thing, but the tasks that had to be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was, you know, when I was a minister or even, even now with this job, um, you think you know what it's going to be like, but you just don't. And, yeah. and there's just so many different things just, just pop out at you all the time. And I think that's, that's part of the, the joy of it, right? It, no two days are the same, um, but you've got to be prepared for whatever is about to come. And then when you, you know, you've got the media as well who are there potentially going to write stories about you too, um, it adds a whole new layer. Yeah. And then you just got to focus, focus on the, the task at hand. I, I do the same with socials if I have any backlash or anything like that. Like all you can do is just focus on your values, what you believe in and keep chipping towards your goal, especially when you believe in what you're doing. That's right. Because when you truly believe in what you're doing, then you know that anything said against it, you just don't believe it. Yeah, that, that's right. And it, and it, you've got to let it not impact yeah. you because, as you say, you've, you've, you've got your set of values, you've got your set of, um, you know, the, the things that are important to you, your beliefs, um, your ideals. Uh, as long as you hold to them, you know, there are going to be the haters. Haters going to hate, you know, so just yeah. you, you got to you got to block them out. Yeah. And then when you, you have a good support network around you, uh, and that, that's, that's really neat. It's well, that, rely on. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things to me is to, and, and the reason why I've been successful, I guess, in my career, in my life, is that I've always had people around me who I totally trust and who I know I can rely on absolutely. Mm. And I know are going to tell me it as it is, you know, and sometimes and you would know the same you need people around you who aren't just going to say you're great you're doing really doing well great. yeah <laughs> that's a great idea correct <laughs> like, but they're going to tell you honestly mm. what what what's going on you know you need a coach who is going to tell you if you've stuffed up a diet oh constructive criticism yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah um and and it's the same I right five hours a day <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and i need that too i need i need people saying oh you know your your that speech actually wasn't that as good as you could have done and let's talk about, you know, how we can fix that. Or I'm not sure that that's the right decision or maybe you could have handled that better. I mean, I, I don't want them to say that too much. but <laughs> yeah, 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 to a degree. Yeah, exactly. Uh, small touch-ups here and there, but having people around you that you trust, support and can rely on and can give you that feedback you take on board, I feel like is so important because yeah. when you're drowning out a lot of the, the haters or, or naysayers, having true people that do mean well for you that yes. can advise you i feel is really effective incredibly important and and that goes back to the relationships point you know um i've always tried to build up relationships gen in, in with genuineness and authenticity whenever i meet people because you just don't know where they're going to lead you don't know if they're going to lead you professionally somewhere really interesting personally somewhere interesting they might be able to help you or support you in ways that you haven't even considered I think you don't have to have an actual outcome, you know, in your mind. If you're doing something, you can just do it for the reason that you're doing it. Especially if when you're not expecting anything in return, like just doing good things because exactly. they're good things and be, just being generous because you should be generous yeah. like, and not expecting anything in return. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a good place to be and things come back to you tenfold down the track anyway. Yeah. yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I, I remember when I was at uni and I was walking from Redfern Station to, to, to Sydney Uni and I was walking and a lady sort of came up to me and said, oh, um, can I have some money for some nappies for my baby? And I'm like, oh, you know, no, you know, I, 
busy and, and, and kept yeah. walking, you know, because, you know, you hear the stories and, and people are asking for money and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I stopped about 20 metres away and I turned back and I said, okay, let's go and to this, this chemist that was here and I'll buy you the nappies. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. So we went in and we had a chat and, and I said, well, what's, what's the deal? You know, obviously nappies are really important. And, and she said, yeah, my husband um, gambled away all the money last night and from the pay packet he got that day and I'm just, we're not going to be able to get through the week and I just, this is the thing that I needed more than anything else. That's why I asked for that. And so, you know, that when I was 18 years old or whatever it was, that was a really important lesson to me that you've got to, you've got to listen to people's stories. And this woman who had absolutely no role in, um, in her situation, it was taken from her. She was doing the right thing. She was trying to provide for her kids. She would have if her husband hadn't basically stolen the household money and gambled it away. And so what that taught me to do was to try and open my heart a bit more and to listen to people and to try and look into their soul and, you know, look into their eyes and listen to their stories. And, and that's, I think, a really important part of being human. Yeah. And where, where do you see yourself going? What's the, what's the goal? Or you just working one day at a time? I think it is one day at a time. You know, I, I've always tried to be incredibly positive about whatever situation I find myself in and to be um, and to see the best in it and to work out, righto, how can I use this role or this situation to, um, to do good things? Uh, that's certainly what I'm doing here. I don't know what next is going to be, um, but I love this job. I'm going to be in it until 2027 uh, at least. Um, but I've been elected in, into parliament until 2031. So. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I read 2031. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be a member of parliament until 2031, but I've got to be re-elected as the president in 2027. So yeah. we'll see if that happens. I hope it does. Um, but, you know, whatever, whatever happens, I, I love this role. It's an important role and I'll keep doing it for as long as my colleagues keep electing me. So outside parliament, politics, who who is Ben Franklin? Well, I, I mean... It's an interesting question. I I am I guess like anyone else. I love my friends. I love meeting new people. I love having fun. I love going home to Byron. I love spending time at the beach. Um, I love foreign film festivals. You know, I love going out with mates and having a good meal, or going to the pub and and listening to uh, an up and coming band. Um, I love meeting people, um, and not for any utilitarian reason. I love people for people, you know, and I just think um, that gives me probably the most joy in my life is is just going out and meeting new people. You know, there are introverts and extroverts in the world, and I did a, a little quiz online the yeah, other day, and, and it said Sorry. I'm ninety two percent an extrovert, which is <laughs> which is that I get energy from other people. Yeah, and you know, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah, I I love traveling. You know, I I just come back from Ghana, actually, in Africa. Um, where I was elected as the president of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association. Was that your first trip uh, on a diplomatic passport? It was, okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. So I, yeah, so now in my new role, I've got a diplomatic passport. It's the, it's the red one, which yeah. is, it gets you through these queues very, very quickly, can I <laughs> say. business class? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was great. And, um, and to go to a country like Ghana and uh, to be able to see, um, you know, this entire different side of, of, 
of the world, of society, and, and to have this meeting with representatives from 56 nations around the world, everybody from, you know, um, Pacific Islands through to African nations to Asian nations to, you know, England and Canada and, and India uh, was really interesting and to talk about a whole range of issues, um, everything from food security to human rights, um, I loved. And I love, to go back to your actual question, I think the thing I love most is travelling. Yeah. Um, whether it's in New South Wales, in Australia or around the world, uh, that gives you that new perspective, that gives you, you, you get the, the new smells and the new sights. And if you hear particularly in a different language, you know, it forces your brain to work in a different way. Mm. Um, it allows you to start thinking outside the box. I also see when you're doing your job or even just out with people, you always seem to be having fun, yeah, happy, loving what you're doing. Yeah. Is that just a part of your life? Like you, you seem very, very happy. A hundred percent. I, I, I'm a deeply happy person mm. and I try to be energetic and enthusiastic and that's the way I've been all my life. In fact, some, uh, some of my mates get, get annoyed because we'll go out for a big <laughs> night until, you know, two or three in the morning yeah. and then I'll bounce up next yeah. morning at like seven o'clock and go, Hey, how you going? A bit of a sore head. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, I've always, I've always been like that. I, yeah, I love, uh, I, I love my job and, I want to take advantage of every opportunity that it gives and I want to do that in a really positive way. I genuinely think that the power of positive thinking mm. is something that influences everything in your life. You I know, couldn't agree more. Not just what it gives you in turn, what the world gives you in return, but even how you are physically, mm. how you are inside. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that mental health and physical health go hand in hand. Yep, 100%. Being positive and making the most of whatever situation you have, yep. I think it's so important. Even when things are difficult or you're trying to find a way around a scenario, being positive, finding the light and trying to enjoy the small things. Like I know whenever training was really, really hard, yeah. I think, you know what, at least I'll get through it and I'll go have a coffee with my friend and I love having a coffee. Yeah. I like yeah. those small things and just yeah. enjoying those and being in the moment and looking after your mental health. Yep. And being around good people is crucially important. I couldn't agree more. Physical and mental health, hand in hand. You know, we get bombarded with so much stimulus all the time. You know, we're on our phones all the time. You know, there's no time just to sort of stop and smell the roses, I guess. And we've got to factor that in. You know, as you say, Sam, it's the little things that actually can be the most significant and the most meaningful. You know, it's stopping and looking up at the at the clouds or it's it's it's... You know, we're, we're really lucky. We've got the Botanic Gardens next door to Parliament here. And I try once a week, if I can, just to get out for half an hour and just to go for a walk around the, the gardens. It's, it sort of settles you. Now that you're travelling and you're as the president, does that restrict any of your travel? Can you still go and travel as much as you'd like and as much as you did before the role? Um, I mean, look, because the role is a heavy and, and significant one, it means I, you know, I can't... I, I, I probably don't have as much time for myself as, as you know, I, I did before I went into politics. Um, but on the other hand, it also means I get, to, I get to see new places. I get to meet new people and I get to travel to places I otherwise wouldn't have, wouldn't have gone to. You know, this afternoon I'm going out to Orange to... Um, uh, oh, yeah. I am, yeah. To, um, there's a concert out there which is being played on a, 
a, a piano that, that I helped to support when I was arts minister. And there's a, an exhibition opening, which they want me to come to as well. And, and it's these relationships that I built up um, that I'm now going out and uh, I'm going to be able to see what the decisions I made, you know, a couple of years ago have come to fruition. And, and that sort of thing. That'd be really know, rewarding. It's incredibly rewarding. And so I guess the answer is, yeah, I don't, I don't get to do some things because I'm so busy, but I get to do other things that I would never have had the chance to. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's all, all positive stuff. Because that is something about, like, you're very positive, very happy. Aren't yeah. Like, it's a good, it's a really good trait to have because people, I feel like, really gravitate towards that. I think so. And that's, that's been the case all my life, that um, I, people always say the thing about me is my energy. Um, and I like that, you know, that's a really nice compliment. Um, so long may it last. Yeah. I think that's a, a great way to end the podcast Yeah, on that. Like just being positive, good energy, good energy goes a long way. hundred percent mate. And can I say, if I think of someone with positive energy, uh, that person is defined <laughs> by you. So, I mean, the, what you're doing, uh, both for your nation, um, as one of its top athletes, uh, but also in terms of what you believe and enacting on your beliefs uh, is pretty inspiring too. And for someone so young uh, to be so focused on achieving good uh, for his community and for his planet, uh, it's pretty inspiring stuff. So thank you, mate. I really appreciate that, Ben. Thanks for coming on. Wouldn't have missed it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.